Good morning. That's uh, that's your cue to stop being friendly. And I grab a seat. Um, so uh, as you came in, you may have noticed these postcards. Um, if uh, if you didn't, feel free to notice one on the way out. In fact, feel free to grab one. Uh, these are the cards that we will be mailing out to about fifteen thousand of our neighbors, inviting them to worship with us at Easter. Uh, on the back uh, has a list of the different services that New Hope and St. Hilda's are going to be having. Um, uh, so, uh, but we, we ordered a few hundred extra so that uh, people can grab some, keep them with you, hand them to people as you invite them. Um, and uh, thanks again to Kendall for the excellent work she does. Uh, one thing I want to point out is that on Good Friday, we're going to have two services. As Joe mentioned, we'll be, New Hope will have its service here at 6. Um, St. Hilda's is going to have its service at noon, and uh, the St. Hilda's service will follow a crosswalk, as we did last summer. We're going to walk through the streets of Catonsville carrying a cross, uh, singing hymns, and uh, we're going to stop along the way uh, and, uh, and read through uh, the Passion Narrative from Matthew's Gospel. We're going to start over at Catonsville Presbyterian. We're doing this with some other churches this year uh, and uh, make our way here. And that'll start at 10.30 and then 12 o'clock is our service. I'm really, really happy to announce that the person preaching at the 12 o'clock St. Hilda's service is John Wargle. Um, some of you remember uh, John, who, who has preached here at New Hope in the, in the past. Uh, Father John is the priest at the St. Timothy's Catholic Community, which from 1844 to 2013 was St. Timothy's Episcopal Church and worshipped in this space. When they decided to leave the Episcopal Church and join the Roman Catholic Church, they moved uh, for worship down the street to St. Mark. Uh, Father John, 20 years ago, was just Dr. Wergel and was my uh, Old Testament professor back when he was a Baptist, uh, and uh, now he's a Catholic priest, and now he's our neighbor, and I'm thrilled that he's going to be here preaching. He's a, a wonderful preacher, just a, a terrific person, and a, a good friend. I'm very grateful for him, and I'm, I'm grateful for what, what it means that he is at liberty to, uh, to preach here, given um, the, his, the painful history with that congregation and uh, the process of them uh, leaving this, this uh, facility. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you may have noticed, we are, uh, we are now moving through this letter at a blistering pace. Um, we are, uh, this, this week and the next two, we're going to take just one chapter each Sunday. Uh, this week, chapter 12. Next week, chapter 13. And the following week, chapter 14. Don't worry, though. We're going to slow up again after that. Uh, and uh, after that, chapters 15 and 16 will take us through the end of the summer. Uh, but here in chapter 12, Paul starts off by drawing a couple of contrasts. The first one is very likely a contrast uh, for the Gentile uh, members of the congregation. As you remember, in the church in Corinth, it was a diverse church, and you had some people in the church who had been Jews, uh, and still were, were Jewish followers of Jesus, and then you had people who were Gentile or pagan uh, followers of Jesus. Some people had, been, had grown up in the Jewish faith, others had grown up uh, in uh, sort of the standard uh, Greco-Roman uh, polytheistic environment where you have all kinds of different gods that you need to, to uh, placate and, uh, and you're used to, to living the way that you do. Um, and and he's, Paul says, now as, as for spiritual things, I don't want you to be ignorant and you know when you're pagans, those of you who were, Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray 
to mute idols. So pagan worship, by definition, is idolatry. And, uh, and Paul's going to draw a distinction in this chapter between the worship of anything other than God and the true worship of God, where there seems to be a problem in the church at Corinth. We get this at the very, very beginning of the chapter when he says now about the spiritual gifts. Uh, in your, if you have NIV, it says spiritual gifts. Others, other translations may have uh, about spiritual things. You could also translate that spiritual people. The masculine and the neuter form of the verb are both formed the same way. Um, so it could be that Paul has been asked, and here's one of these many places where Paul says, now about, as in I'm now responding to the question that you asked me about this particular matter. It could be that people had asked Paul about these folks in the congregation who identified themselves as super spiritual, or it could be that he was that they were asking him about spiritual matters, or it could be that, as I think is likely as the NIV translates it, uh, he's asking about spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Well, probably more important than what are spiritual gifts is who gives spiritual gifts. Who gives spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit. Yes, the Spirit of Christ gives spiritual gifts. Gifts are, are, are things that the Spirit gives His people in order to enable them to do the work that He's called them to do, in order to enable them to serve in the ways that He's called them to serve. And, and Paul says uh, in, in, in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who gives these gifts. You've got different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord whom we serve. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in everybody. So whenever we do anything worthwhile, we give the credit to God who enables us to do these things. Whenever we have something to bring in, in the way we serve, it's only God who enables us to have something to bring at all. And each of us does that differently, but we do it as God enables. In fact, Paul says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's not given so that the person who has a gift can have an intense, ecstatic religious experience in exercising it, though that may happen. It's not given so that the person can feel more spiritual, certainly not so the person can feel superior to others. It's given for the common good, for the edification of of the whole body. And, and Paul gives us here in verses 7 through 11, he gives us a, a list of some different types of gifts that God gives. He gives to one through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, another one faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another one miraculous powers, another prophecy, another the discernment of spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of languages, to still another, the interpretation of those languages. But all of them are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each person just as He determines. Right. So who's the one who gives the spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit. Who decides who gets which gifts? The Holy Spirit. Who decides what's to be done with those gifts? The Holy Spirit. This is not about you doing your thing 
This is all about God doing His thing through His people. Now we have here this list of spiritual gifts, and in a few other places in Scripture we find lists of gifts. I I do not believe that we are given these lists so that we can recognize an exhaustive catalog of a certain set of limited ways that the Spirit enables His people to serve. One reason I think that is that every single one of these lists that shows up is different, right? So I don't think God gave us like four different lists so that we can work really hard at, at, at um, bringing them all together and somehow harmonizing them so that we have a list. Now, in, in some places, people find it useful to do things like spiritual gifts inventories uh, to, to take um, tests or fill out questionnaires that will enable you to have some idea of how God may have gifted you to serve. And that, that's useful to a point. I, I think it can be uh, counterproductive if, if people use that to, uh, to demand that folks sort of be pigeonholed into like one of 15 different categories. But it can be useful in giving you some insight as to the ways in which God has, has enabled us to serve. Now, one, one place where there is controversy over this has to do with the gifts sometimes called the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts, gifts of things like healing, uh, gifts that involve a, a word of knowledge where somebody says to someone, you know, I think God is telling me to tell you X, Y, or Z. Or, or gifts, uh, the gift of, of speaking in tongues where people will stand up uh, in, and they will begin to, to speak. Um, in fact, it's, it's unclear whether Paul here refers to the kind of speaking in tongues that happened on Pentecost when the disciples, uh, uh, having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, got up and started telling the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the languages of all the different people who were gathered in Jerusalem at the time. When they were speaking in different tongues, they were literally speaking different languages uh, speaking the languages that people there would be able to understand. It could mean that here Paul's talking about a, a practice of, of what's, what's called glossolalia, where, where, where people are speaking in a language that is not understandable necessary, possibly not understandable specifically to the person speaking it, but then God also gives with, with that the gift of interpretation so that there may be one person who is speaking and then another person is able to interpret or kind of translate what's going on there. Now, this is the sort of thing that, frankly, wigs people out if it goes on. Um, and this is the sort of thing that, um, that can cause uh, problems, and it certainly seems to in Corinth. The problem was not with people receiving gratefully the gifts that God had given or trying to ensure that they be used in a way that edified the body. The problem was that, as with so many other things, this became a way for some people in the church in Corinth to think that they were better than other people in the church at Corinth. Right? You remember at the very beginning of the letter, Paul starts out and he says, so I hear that there are factions in the church. I hear that there are some people who are saying, well, I'm on team Paul, and other people are saying, well, I'm on team Apollos, and others are saying I'm on team Edward, and I'm on team Jacob, and I'm, 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 I'm with this this." group and we're better than you because of the, the specific teacher or vampire that we follow. And, and, and Paul, Paul says this is, I mean, for one, this is just silly. The fact is, Apollos and I are on the same team. We're all on team Jesus. Uh, we're all trying to, to, to work together. And so for, for you to, 
to try to pit us against each other is dumb. But, but the problem is you've got division in a body that should be, should be one, should be unified, right? And it seems like the way that these different gifts were being experienced and possibly the way they were being used in the church in Corinth led some people to say, well, I have the gift of tongues. Which gift do you have? Oh, you just have the gift of service. You, you, you have the gift of setting up chairs. That's very nice. Well, I have the gift. I'm gonna, I have a word of not Wait, I have a word of knowledge. The Spirit is telling me, you have the gift of setting up chairs. I, wait, the Spirit is telling me now, somebody here has the gift of helping me put the shelf back on the bookshelf in my office, so it's spiffy tomorrow. Okay? Anybody? I don't know who it is. Maybe it's you. I but but you you had some people who were who were using this as a means of 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 thinking themselves superior, and inevitably you've got some people who think oh, all I do is I have the spiritual gift of making coffee and putting donuts out. I'm not all that special. No, Paul says, look, here's the, the the church is like a body, right? The church is the body of Christ, and you think of a body, you've got all kinds of parts in a body, right? All of its parts are many; they form one body. Same thing with Christ. We're all baptized by one spirit into one body. Jews, Greeks, slave-free, were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body isn't made up of one part. The body has many parts. And it would be stupid if the foot said, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In fact, just by saying that doesn't mean that it would cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong. No, I mean... Think about it. If you had a whole body made up of eyes, how are you going to hear anything? Right? If, if you had a whole body made up of ears, how would you smell anything? But the fact is that God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You, you couldn't have a body if all we had were you know, pancreases. Right? So you've got many parts, but you've got one body. What that means then is that the eye can't say to the hand, well, I don't need you. No, we need hand-eye coordination. The head, eye, head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Obviously, the head can't get anywhere unless it's got some feet to carry it around. In fact, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, in fact, indispensable. In fact, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, but our presentable parts have no special treatment. The fact is, the things that are unpresentable, the things that we hide, are some of the most important parts that we have, right? Here's the deal. God has combined these members of the body. He's given greater honor to the parts that lacked it in order that there would be no division. He wants the parts to have equal concern for one another. So if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part is honored, rejoices with it. But of course, Paul says, I'm not talking about bodies. I'm talking about the church. You, Corinthians, are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God appointed apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, people with gifts of healing, people able to help others, people who can make the trains run on time, and people, and people speaking in different kinds of languages. And everybody's not an apostle, everybody's not a prophet, everybody's not a teacher, everybody doesn't work miracles, and so on and so forth. Everybody, 
has, has their, their role to play. Everybody's given the gifts that they're given. And if your fascination is with the gift rather than the giver, at the very best, that's foolish. It's just dumb. But at worst, it's idolatry. Because what you're focused on is not worshiping God. You're worshiping the way you're worshiping God. Right? If all you're concerned about is the gift God has given you that's supposed to enable you to worship and serve Him, then you're not really interested in serving Him. You're interested in the way that He's enabled you to serve Him. It's kind of like a sign that points to something else. Right? The reason the sign is there is to point you to something else. If all you do is obsess about the, the sign, you're completely missing the point. The point, get it? Right? No. The focus, focusing on the gift, and it seems that this is what was going on in Corinth, especially the ones that were more impressive or more dramatic, can, can lead to a culture in which people are constantly comparing themselves with others in the congregation, which for some people means that they're going to be comparing themselves with others and saying, well, you just have that one, but I, I have the gift of teaching. Bet you wish you had the gift of teaching, but you don't, do you? No, I have that gift. But it's also going to lead some people to say, yeah, boy, I sure wish I had one of those really impressive gifts like healing or something all all I can do is is make a schedule to make sure that everybody knows who's bringing the donuts. They're all important, Paul says. You're not supposed to think one is any less important than any other, right? And some are easier to do than others, and some things you frankly don't need a special spiritual gift for. They're just stuff that you do. Like, I really don't believe in this passage or anywhere else there is indicated a spiritual gift of setting up chairs. It's just something that sometimes you've got to do. Right? There's no spiritual gift of painting walls, but last weekend we had a whole bunch of people here, and on Thursday we had a whole bunch of people here who just did that because it needed to get done. There are some things we just do, but then there are specific ministries where you do need a special gift, whether it be uh, that you need certain natural talents but also you need the empowerment of the Spirit in order to do something effectively. And what Paul is saying is, is understand what that is, do that, but do it to God's glory. Don't do it so that you make yourself feel better. Don't do it so you think yourself superior to others. Certainly don't do it so you think yourself inferior to others. God's the one who gave you the gift. He's the one who decided what you ought to what you ought to be doing. So, so be grateful to him for that. In fact, the most important of the gifts may be the least visible. I think of the scene that C.S. Lewis has in, in The Great Divorce where, where uh, you know, he has the, his, his, the, the, the protagonist and his story basically has a, a visit to heaven and at one point he sees a a uh, massive procession, and there's one woman in the procession who is who clearly is is the one who is being being honored and and uh, and is is being um, presented in this procession with uh, as somebody who's who's worthy of great veneration. Somebody you would think, oh well, this must be you know a, a great saint. This must be Saint Mary or something like that. And 
and uh, and Lewis asks his his guide, "Who is this?" And he says, "You would you would not have paid this person any attention when you saw her on the street when you were around. She was basically she was just somebody who was humble. She was somebody who who did the things she was supposed to do, and served her family and her church and her community." And, and it was completely unremarkable. But, in fact, it was vitally important. And here, she's recognized as being worthy of great honor and respect because of her faithfulness. So the most important people may well be the most visible. The most important gifts may be the ones that nobody even notices being exercised. The point is that God is the one who is in charge not us. God is the one who is working out His purposes. We partner with Him. We cooperate with God in the work that He is doing. But we don't run our own agenda. It's the Spirit who determines what is to be done and who is to do it. It's the Spirit who enables us to do the things that need to be done. The Spirit moves in mysterious ways. We don't have to understand why he does the way the things he does the way he does them in order for us to cooperate. And so the way I understand what Paul says at the very end of this chapter, the first half of chapter thir- of verse thirty-one, when he says, "Eagerly desire the greater gifts," kind of like at the beginning of the chapter, you have this this word that that could be read in two different ways, where the the grammar forms the word in exactly the same way. Paul could be saying to them the imperative, eagerly desire those greater gifts. Or it could be that Paul is saying, but you are eagerly desiring the greater gifts. And I I think I see Paul saying that. He's saying, you know, different people have different responsibilities or different gifts. The problem, Corinthians, one, one of your many problems, is that you are so obsessed with these gifts that you think are greater that you're completely missing the point of why God gave these gifts in the first place. And you're promoting division in the church rather than building it up together. Instead, Paul says, setting up next week, let me show you a better way. A better way is the way of love. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we would be a people who exercise the gifts that you've given us with all humility and with all diligence. That we would never use the good things you've given us to think ourselves either superior or inferior to our brothers and sisters. But, that we, we, but rather that we would always in love seek above all, the edification of your church and the glory of your name. I pray that we would work to understand the ways in which you have enabled us to serve and that we would be faithful in serving in those ways. I pray that this would be to promote a healthy, not a divided church. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.